Uh, appreciate you guys being on here. You can catch this video uh, recorded live on YouTube. You can also catch all my highlights and shorts on my YouTube channel as well. I know a lot of you guys follow me there for the latest updates as they're coming live. And uh, we're going to jump right into this. So going into the new year, we are going to do some new things uh, with this podcast and the format. I'm really excited about actually some of the changes uh, that we'll be doing into next year. But we are finishing kind of this format being the last Friday of the year. And one of the things that we just started doing that I really liked is this beliefs of the rich or taking a moment to kind of focus in on the psych, like the psychological aspect of money, because it really, from a weighing in standpoint, really makes a difference in terms of how money starts showing up for you. And so today, one of the beliefs I'm going to cover is around, nope, it's not around time. We did this one last week. Let's get the right one up. It's around our feelings. And one of the interesting things about this topic is I was actually, I don't know how many of you guys know this, but I like doing personal coaching. I've been doing it for years for executives, CEOs, uh, and people who are trying to make a difference in various aspects of the community. And what I found is my, my strength is definitely in the financial thread but I'm also very well trained on the, the psychological side. And from my beginning stages and like learning and understanding psychology started as soon as, you know, probably eighth grade. Uh, but I did a lot in college around psychology. And then I ended up enrolling and doing a lot uh, training wise and getting some cert certifications even around psychology. And I can tell you firsthand it makes the biggest difference around your money. Meaning that how your head is screwed on has a very large impact in how money shows up for you just as a byproduct of your beliefs. Obviously, there are natural laws. Obviously, there are rules that if you're not following, will apply. But how you think about money has so much to do with it. And so these are this is one of over 20 different beliefs that I've identified that the rich have that average people do not have. And so this is how I kind of frame it. Average people make decisions on how they feel and the rich make decisions on facts and data. And I was actually working with one of my uh, clients that I do executive coaching with, and we were kind of talking about this. And one of the questions that was asked by this gentleman was like, why do my emotions not matter, Matt? Why do you keep talking about it like this? And it's not that they don't matter, right? In fact, if anything, I don't want us going back into the dark ages around how we feel. Like we have evolved uh, from our understanding of why emotions are important and why they're important to express and feel all the way through, where I would say the last two generations, we like to suppress our emotions, right? And that's not healthy either. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that they don't matter, Meaning that we give a lot of story, we give a lot of meaning to our emotions. And average people often hit their financial ceiling and have a feeling that they're not happy, not satisfied, or that something out there is wrong, causing them not to break through. And it's just not true. There's not, 
There's not some feeling that's going to come first that's going to have you get money. There's not some feeling that you're waiting for to have that's all of a sudden going to increase your ability to have more. It's just not how it works. It's kind of the be, do, have. If you guys uh, have ever studied this, it's kind of the be, do, have philosophy that it's not about what you're doing that's going to get the result. It's who you're being first. And it's kind of this chicken and egg uh, conundrum, like which came first, the chicken or the egg? Is it how I feel is going to then cultivate a environment where I do things in a better way? Or is it me doing these things is going to have me feel this certain way and then uh, spiral up? And the reality is, is who you're being has to come first. The rich put their feelings aside and deal with facts. They take on the role of what's best for the business, not what's best for me. And this is a hard concept to live in when so much of we what we do, in fact, all these, I can't tell you how many people are so intuition based, like, oh, well, I'm, you know, my intuition told me to do this. That's fine. You know, if you're in a relationship and your intuition says something, I get, I, I can kind of get that. If you're dealing with like some other aspect of your life, maybe, maybe it's like your health or it's which direction do I turn, or you know something like this. I get that. Okay, intuition you know, has its benefits. But when it comes to money, your intuition does not matter. You can sit here in front of your computer and you know flick the, the candles up or down or blow on them to try to cool them off, and it doesn't matter. Those candles, the price of whatever market it is you're watching, is going to move, and it's going to move completely uh, aside from how you feel about it. And so it's important that we know that our feelings are ours and, and they are worth something. They're not worth like uh, dropping. It's not that they're not valuable and feelings come and go. And maybe you just have a bloated stomach that day. Maybe you ate something that has your chemicals off for the day. Maybe there's some gut thing going on and your biome needs to get fixed so that your level of happiness goes up. Maybe there's some neurological thing. It, it just doesn't matter, guys. How you feel can radically get in the way of the decisions you make. And one plus one equals two, regardless of how you feel about it. And so this is just a, a strong distinction I want to make going into 2024. I want you to know that it's important to validate your feelings. It's healthy to fully express all your feelings and not to make decisions based off of them. And that's kind of my wrap up on beliefs of the rich. So uh, a lot of people disagree with that. And that's fine. And I would imagine that most of those people who disagree with that do not have a lot of money. And again, this is just my experience surveying the landscape around people like myself and people that have a lot of money and what are the the parallels that kind of uh, line up around that all right so now we're going into my next segment let's talk about this new york times suing open ai i've got a video clip from cbs i think it is let's see who this is from i think it was cbs where i got this and i just want to play this quick three minute clip so you guys can get a sense of what's happening out there with this open AI, New York Times, how how kind of the floodgate may have opened on this. And there will be financial repercussions. Microsoft will obviously have, uh, like this will play in to values around Microsoft being the investor and, and uh, main stakeholder in open AI. This will also play into a lot of 
AI projects going into 2024 and will likely create some new opportunities also. Uh, so I'll weigh in on that uh, right after we watch this clip. So let's just grab this really quick and I'll share this really short three minute clip so you guys can get updated on this. Here we go. Well, the New York Times is taking OpenAI and Microsoft to court. It's filing a federal lawsuit today against the maker of ChatGPT over copyright infringement. The Times says that millions of articles published in the paper were used to train automated chatbots that now compete with it as a source of reliable information. And while the Times is the first major American media organization to sue the companies over copyright issues like this, it follows authors like Sarah Silverman, who sued Open. AI and Meta earlier this year over similar concerns related to her book. We've reached out to both Microsoft and OpenAI for comment. So far, we've only heard back from OpenAI. It says it's, quote, surprised and disappointed with this development and hopeful that it will find mutually beneficial way to work together as we are doing with many other publishers. NBC legal analyst Danny Savalos is here to break this all down for us. Danny, can you walk us through what these allegations mean exactly? How does this work? Well, they're basically alleging that the AI companies are taking this gigantic uh, pile of copyrighted material and learning from it, training its AI program so that they can generate content that will obviously be based on that material. I don't think the defendants will even dispute the fact that their AI programs are scanning or scouring or digesting this huge set of that material, including the plaintiffs, the New York Times, uh, their content that they've been putting out for, I guess you could say, centuries now. I don't think that's much in dispute. What will be in dispute in this case is what are they doing with it? Because that'll be key to copyright. When you think about it, what these companies are doing are exactly what you and I do. In fact, the legal stuff that I talk about today, the words that come out of my mouth are from me reading copyrighted materials by law professors on this topic and then spitting it out as my own without crediting them and without paying them a dime even though i consumed their copyrighted materials that's exactly what ai is doing the thing that scares uh, plaintiffs like the new york times is that ai can churn out content and it can be remarkably close to the original content and nobody's going to be compensated for that. And in some cases, it's a verbatim account of what the New York Times uh, was reporting. So how is the court going to be weighing this question? Uh, exactly that. So your question actually includes the important part. What matters is the output. The digesting is one thing. It's what is the output. Uh, is it identical or very close to what the copyrighted material is? Then you have a problem. But if it's inspired or it's just derivative, then you might not have a copyright violation. And then you get into secondary issues of who's really doing the copyright violation. Is it the program or is it the human asking the program to commit a copyright violation. It's the age old, you may, you may not remember, but back when I was a kid, you had two tape deck uh, boom boxes, which are probably made mostly for copyright violations, for taping one music to the other tape. But there are lawful uses as well. So it's really about is the user the violator or the program itself, the machine. It'll be fascinating to see what the court decides. And it All right. So I'm going to end that there. So one of the, I'm not in love with uh, this guest um, example that he uses on 
uh, open AI in the two deck system. I, I don't quite understand. I don't get that. The, the reality is, is the New York times is feeling threatened. The, the reality is, is AI is a massive threat to how we are going to consume the news in the future and news outlets, news uh, companies are going through another sea change in terms of how people will consume their product. And they've already gone through this. We went through that period of radio to television where there had to be a major shift and people cried all the way uh, around how news was getting distributed from when it was newspaper and radio. And then when the internet came out, all the television networks did the same thing. And so this is just a new sea change. And unfortunately, these type of things uh, typically do slow progress. However, is AI, is ChatGPT violating copyright uh, laws? And the answer to that is not until it's used. Like if you use an AI to go out and ask, you know, let's just ask like, uh, some question that maybe the New York Times put out five different articles on, and it creates a derivative answer. Unless you publish that answer, there's no copyright infringement. Second to that, uh, whose fault is it? The user who publishes it or the user uh, who generated it? And frankly, I think the argument that we are going to be going into into 2024 or is what is AI and what is an AI agent? And does it have the same rights as a human? Does it have the same protections as a human? And when you really look at it, if all an AI is doing, if all an LLM is doing is going out, grabbing a bunch of data, curating it, and then writing its own synopsis, writing its own derivative of that same information, how is that any different than what I'm doing right now? How is that any different than what, the news does all the time, going out and taking 12 different articles from other news companies and basically making a rewrite of the same article. It's not any different. In fact, the news that's coming out around the news suing OpenAI in and of itself is the same thing. And I would even say some of those people are using AI to write those articles, but it's virtually no different. The only argument... And I'm not sure how LLMs are going to fix this because this uh, gets really challenging uh, just because I understand how the transformers work on an LLM. How to cite work or how to cite uh, where this information is coming from is going to be uh, definitely difficult. It definitely adds massive problems to how we're getting information back. Uh, but I also think that there will be some challenges with... Um, if, if this becomes a copyright issue, we are going to have to have very specific LLMs, very specific AI models that are deriving data from very specific data sets, which one is going to slow progress down immensely. Uh, and two, it will change the, the direction or the, the uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? It's really going to change like the focus groups of AI uh, as that, kind of, uh, I mean, really, it's a dam. It's really a, a, a wall that we're building to kind of slow down the progress because now that, that we're going to have to build in these somehow citation sources into the LLM, which I'm not currently aware of an LLM that can do that. 
unless it's coming only from one data source. And then it would be telling you this date, this data source specific is uh, coming from XYZ company or XYZ uh, data bank. And however, uh, th there are some major opportunities here. I think, do I think that there's going to be a ruling where the New York Times wins? I don't think that's how it's going to go. I think there will be some concessions made on both sides. Where does where's the opportunity lie? It's going to be data. 2024 will be the year for companies who hold the data and, and specific data, meaning like data, like, like numerical data or financial market data or health data around your health, you know, to help prevent certain cancers or certain diseases. Like all of these certain data blocks will become radically valuable, especially even if this New York Times lawsuit doesn't win, just the fact that it's putting a lot of pressure on the industry, the industry is going to shift. They're going to they're going to move into this direction knowing that there is an appetite for protecting people's copyright information and more important, just their data sources. So I think this is where we're going into 2024. There is going to be a massive slowdown in progress around AI, especially with AGIs being the next thing. And Bill Gates talked about that. Uh, last week about how Microsoft is working really close to AGIs. Luckily for you, uh, at Green Chart, our AI since last year was already running on an agent platform, and that's where the future of next year is going. So we're kind of a year already ahead of this uh, curve. Uh, if you want to get an idea what an AGI or an AI agent can look like, ours isn't a real AGI but it's a good step in that direction. Uh, you can go onto our website at greenchart.com and we've got a free AI tool there uh, that you can use without even paying our uh, monthly fee. So it's kind of a gift that we give out to the public. Now, um, I, I'm, I'm involved heavily in AI. I serve on an AI uh, panel for the state. I got brought into the governor's office a couple of weeks ago or the governor's mansion to have a, a dinner around AI as one of the experts here in the state. Uh, this is troubling to, to for, for me, for the industry, for progress around AI. This is troubling. Do I think that we need to be careful around like word for word copyright infringement? Absolutely. You know, I've got a book coming out uh, in April next year, and the last thing I want is AI taking full you know pages out of there and not even citing where it came from or taking my illustrations or some concept that I have patented or a, I have trademarks on and basically copying it word for word. There are plenty of lawsuits where people have done that without AI and have won. And so this does heighten the sensitivity around that. And I think we'll, we'll see how this plays out probably into the first quarter of next year. But keep an eye on this. This New York Times lawsuit will probably be the first of many major network lawsuits that jump onto this bandwagon. And it's very likely that there'll be a concession made or a federal law made that uh, combats this. Will there be money awarded? I think also that, yes, I think that will happen also. Uh, and it could take a huge dent out of these major big seven, top seven, whatever you want to call them, companies that are in the top, that are basically propping up the entire S&P 500 right now. This could take some major hits as, the New York's time, the New York Times is claiming billions 
of potential dollars and losses or in liabilities towards OpenAI uh, ChatGPT's platform. So let's move into the next segment. Um, so completing that, I want to move into, we've got 2024 coming. And so I thought, like, what would it be if I were in a listing position? What would be some of the top things I'd want to know being on a webinar like this, heading straight into 2024. And I thought about doing goals, but I'm actually going to save that for next week. Next week, we're going to do, I'm going to show you uh, some of the high value uh, skills, tooling that I use around setting goals for uh, the new year. So we'll do that next year. But this week, I want to go over some polls on not just my predictions, but also weighing into the public and some of the the data points that are coming in from the public perception around 2024 predictions. And I'm also going to weigh in on my side of this because I, just because the public believes something uh, I don't necessarily. Uh, and so I want to, I want to get clear on that because the public often has a misconception of what's real and what's true. And if there's an opportunity there, if the public is wrong would be another way of saying this uh, it can actually weigh in you could weigh in on it and there's usually an arbitrage trade of some type when the public's perception is radically off from reality and so i'll give you some of those as i weigh in on this so here is the sheet so let's just go through this really quick so these were uh questions asked by a yahoo polling that happened just yesterday and this is going into next year's uh, next year's predictions. And I'll just read through these so you can see them. So the top, the first one on here that I thought was interesting is the winner. Uh, this is a election or political uh, poll and weigh in. And as much as I like to not touch politics on this podcast, I think this one is valuable because I really think it says something. Uh, who... The question was, who's going to be the winner of 2024's presidential elections? And this was on Yahoo. So just to give you an idea of like the, this is the readers, the listeners, the people who participate on uh, Yahoo. Around or just under 30% Joe Biden, just under 40% President Trump. And then somebody else was at 35%. And I, the big takeaway from this chart to me isn't actually Trump. Uh, if you actually go on and you do news polling on like who's doing better, Trump or Biden, and polls, Trump is just murdering Biden right now. Uh, so this is already given data that's been out for over six months. You just don't hear about it on the news very often. What I thought was interesting is how tired we are of these two candidates. Everyone wants someone else. I mean... There, there are more people that want someone else than everyone who wants Biden versus Trump. I mean, and it's pretty close to even Trump's amount. We are tired of these two candidates. And I think even if it's one or the other, I think we we have been the GOP and, and the, uh, the Democratic Party are also kind of playing with the idea of new candidates. But I just don't think that's going to happen. So I'll even throw in a prediction of mine that is not part of my top five. I think it will be Biden versus Trump going into 2024. I can't see it. I don't see how it could be anyone else. If there's going to be someone else, I, Trump is definitely going to run. And that's probably more of an egoic thing. Biden, 
uh, may run, but if he doesn't, it will be because of some health concerns. It's going to be a, I mean, 2024 guys, just so you guys know, statistically, historically speaking, the markets typically do not like election years. There are usually years that go down on average. It's usually a negative year for the market on average, uh, but not by very much. We don't, it's not like every time there's an election, there's a recession or something like that. But I did think this was interesting. Our country is just tired of these two candidates. And uh, obviously, after the next term, I think we're going to have a huge breath of fresh air, just knowing that neither of these two are going to be running again into the next election. Uh, Next question was, the S&P 500 stock index is up about 23% this year. And by the way, we had a major pullback of over 30% on the S&P which people are calling the pullback and recovery. I don't completely buy that yet, but I'll give my way in actually on where I think the market's going to go into 2024. But let me let me just show you what's interesting about this. So this is the public perception. Public perception, a large amount believe that the S&P 500 will rise more than 10% next year. And Second to this, this blue section, about 30% of those weighed or those polled believe that it would rise between 1% and 10%. About 10% thinks it's going to be flat. Less than 10% thinks it's going to be less than 10%, meaning there's going to be a decline of 1% to 10%, which would be like a recession. Um, Also, flat would technically make a recession if we have less GDP. Decline in more than 10%, about 15 So you can really see the way in here. The public believes next year is going to be great. I don't quite understand that perception. I'm going to weigh in a little bit on this poll. Uh, and here is why. I think because the market is up, I think because real estate values are holding, that people believe that we're going to have a strong 2024. Now, the past isn't an indication of the future. And the feds have already weighed in on this. They've already weighed in that next year's GDP is going to be significantly slower in growth than this year. And that's price to perfection. That's that, There's no problems. War doesn't escalate. We don't have more bank uh, closures, which I'm somewhat predicting in the commercial uh, sector next year. And people aren't getting scared. Now, this can flip really quick. In fact, these polls... And these numbers look very similar uh, to before when the 2008 crash happened, when everyone thought there was nowhere for the market to go but up. And then the rug was pulled so quickly that people were shocked. And this is not an uncommon thing to happen. I just want to have this in your guys' peer view. I want you to know that this is a very common uh, line of events, historically speaking. We went through kind of a shock factor after COVID. Everyone was screaming recession, market's going to crash, blah, blah, blah. It didn't. And then everything kind of goes back into, well, everything's normal, but it feels kind of eerie. And I think that's where we're going into 2024, where the the mass population thinks things are going to be good. And we're on a very, very thin sheet of ice that it just isn't going to take much to rock and to have a breakout from underneath which could bring us into a recession, which is actually one of my top five predictions that I'll get into after. So I do not actually agree with this chart. I fall 
definitely into this 10% or below section, this yellow, teal, or orange section. I do not agree with these two. However, and I will say this in my top five predictions, I do think that we will have a shift. I do think that we could have higher highs into next year, but that doesn't mean that we won't also have lower lows. So I, I think the swings in the market are going to be pretty radical. And then it's kind of like a timing issue. It's like, well, where does it end? And because of an election, I just don't see how it's going to hold. I think there's going to be a lot of talk about the news is not going to be able to avoid our government's problem with spending and our negative yield curve that happened because of our excess spending. And because of how politics work, Politicians are going to grab onto these topics and the perception of the public will life likely shift because it will be brought to their attention because of the election. All right. So there's that poll. I don't necessarily agree with that one, but there you go. Uh, this is the inflation rate is currently 3.1% right now. Uh, this month it was at 3.17, I think, percent. And a year from now, the inflation rate will be... Some people are saying less than 2%. I generally agree. I don't think it will get to that point between 2 and 3%. I agree with this one. I, I, I'm weighing in with the general population on this. Between 3 and 5%, that means we would have more inflation next year. I don't agree with that. The feds do not have to lower rates, and they won't if inflation ticks up. So I actually think we'll kind of go sideways, and if we go into a recession, we'll actually start to see the rates come down even further next year. All right, Q4 unemployment rate uh, is currently 3.7%. So we're talking about jobs now. A year from now, it will be uh, just over 10%, think over 3.5%. The general population thinks it will be about where it is, maybe higher. I actually would agree with this one. Over 4.5%, that's a pretty drastic increase. I find myself uh, agreeing with public uh, perception on this one. And I, I would agree with this, even though it's not a prediction I'm making. I would agree with this one as well. All right. Will there be a recession in 2024? This one shocked me. Uh, just over 30% of people are saying yes. Under 50% are saying no. About 20% are saying, you know, we just really don't know. We, I just, I don't know enough about the topic and that's fair. But what is interesting is the weigh-in on the no side is pretty high. Uh, people are getting complacent. People are seeing the stock market recover, even though it's the top seven that are kind of leading all of that news and all that, that uh, volume in the market. I don't see how, when you have all this injection in the market, how you don't see a pull-off without more quantitative easing, which could happen next year, uh, but I think they'll wait. And it you, got to, you have to remember also that rate drops take about six months to kick in. And so even if we do a rate drop Q1, we're still kind of in this sideways momentum uh, on the market and a lot of data points that have to kick in into 2024. So there's uh, the polls. I'm going to step off of this and jump into my predictions. Let's cancel that. And here are my top predictions for 2024. And what's fun about this is we will next year and maybe even at the six month mark do a recap. So I, I'm not saying this is to hold me accountable uh, necessarily. It's more, I, I just think it's fun 
I think it's fun to do this. And I think it's fun to uh, make really educated guesses based on all the data that you know, and then kind of be held accountable to it at the end. Uh, it's really more for me. Now, having said that, none of this is financial advice. You guys need to do your own homework, right? You guys got the disclosure at the front. If you're a member, you've you know signed stuff. You guys all understand this. But I'm really doing this to help give you information so that you can make decisions educated on your own. Now, here are my five topics around 2024. I'm going to talk about recession. You guys kind of already heard my thoughts on that. I want to give you the real estate, my real estate market prediction for 2024, my rate prediction, very specific. I have very specific predictions on rates for 2024, where the market will go, specifically the S&P 500, and this AIC change. And the, I actually had this prediction even before the New York Times this week sued OpenAI uh, on where I thought AI was going to go. And I think actually this lawsuit is going to drive some of those innovations even faster because it's going to slow down the momentum of these huge conglomerates like OpenAI, these, these long-lasting LLMs that were really trying to drive AI, AGI progress, which is uh, generative AI, which we have not currently hit yet. So let's go into recession. Well, this chart, in fact, I think I have this image somewhere. Do I? Yeah, I do. This chart is really unique, and I'm going to blow this up so that you guys can see it a little bit better. But I want to show you a data point that has never been wrong, ever. This is not like a 90% prediction chart. Yield curve has predicted every recession uh, over the last 100 years, every one. And what it means is that when the, the yield curve gets inverted when the yield curve goes into the negative every time thereafter we have a recession now the timing can be off by you know six months or so but it's what happens and right now we've just entered the negative on the yield curve now this is 10 and two year uh treasury yields and in order for our economy to stabilize, in order for the government and our dollar to continue to have its value, we have to get this thing under control. Inflation, as you know and have experienced, is kind of the, the driver behind yields. And it's kind of what throws us into these weird negative uh, sections also. And you can see in the 80s, when we were struggling with you guys remember how high interest rates were, how hard it was to get loans in the 80s? A lot of you guys weren't alive then. I was just coming out of the womb, so to speak. Right? I was just born in the 80s. Uh, that gives you an idea how old I am. But a lot of you uh, don't even have that experience, right? Or you were too young to be trading in the markets. But if you go back into history and study it, the 80s were largely impacted by inflation. And then rates skyrocketed. And then we went into a negative yield curve and had multiple recessions during the 80s. Then we had one in the 90s after this negative yield curve. Then after the dot-com bust, uh, you can see you know we went into the negative. We had a recession. And by the way, the recession is marked in these white lines going down. Then in 2006 through 2008, you guys all know about that. We went into the negative, had a recession. And then during COVID, you can barely see it, but it's a very thin line during COVID. We actually went into a negative yield curve. Now we're there again. This has a accuracy of 100%. So 
we would have to not go into a recession into 2024, guys, for this to not work, for us not to be into a recession, uh, or for this uh, inverted yield curve to break, this model to break. So traders are watching this. Analysts understand this chart. This is a data point that any major analyst knows and understands, and they know that this is a, this plays in on a large scale uh, into whether there will be a recession forthcoming into the next year. Now, because we've already hit the negative yield, we have 12 months for this to happen. Is it possible it could happen on month 13? Yes, it is. it could. You can see that once we go negative, sometimes it takes a full year for that recession to kick in. So it could be clear into 2025. It just, there's just so many strings, guys. There's so many things. When you pull it tight over here, it gets looser, but tighter on this market. And all of the different islands of the market, you could say, uh, different markets are constantly pulling on each other. And you're bound to have you're bound to have the recourse, but often where and when is hard to predict. And I'm throwing my hat out there and saying it's going to be in 2024. There's a bunch of other data points that I'm pointing to uh, that also back my position on this. But we'll see. We'll see if 2024 is the year that it happens. So there's my prediction on that. The next prediction for 2024 that I have is in the real estate market. I'm going to make two predictions uh, that are specifically around commercial, and then residential. And then we'll talk about rates, which kind of tie into the real estate market as well. Now, here's my prediction for 2024 on residential real estate. I believe that we are finding the bottom. I'm not saying that we have found it yet, but I am predicting that 2024 will be the year that we find the bottom in most states and definitely as a country, meaning that the national averages will find its bottom in 2024, and most states will find their bottom in 2024. Now, let me explain why. A lot of people are going, that's impossible, Matt. Affordability makes no sense. Like, how, how could this happen? How could the real estate market stay propped up for so long? Well, I mean, there are some outliers that could affect this. One being, there's a bill that is being positioned to pass that would make it illegal for hedge funds to own residential real estate and they'd have to offload and sell all of it in the next 10 years, that could play into it where certain markets uh, have up to 30% of their real estate owned by hedge funds. So that clearly would add a uh, tremendous supply into the market. I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's way too much money in those funds to lobby uh, for laws that won't push that bill through. Um, the general public, it sounds so awful to say this, but it's really lobbyists. It's really sponsors of these bills that typically push laws like this. And there's just way too much money in the real estate market for hedge funds for a law like that to get passed. I, I wish that the public vote and the public opinion actually weighed that much when it comes to these type of things. But frankly, on a federal level, it just doesn't. Um, another data point, though, on the real estate market finding its bottom has to do with rates. The fact that we paused rates and we paused it again, and there's predictions for rate drops going into 2024, this will only add pressure to the real estate market. For those sitting on the sidelines, they will finally get in. For those 
uh, looking to get a second home or buy that first home for the first time. They had a deposit, but they wanted a better rate. It's going to create that additional pressure. It also, I want to share with you what rates do and how it affects this outside market. How many of you, even if you don't own, have seen the market rates for money market accounts? You go into your bank and they have this huge TV that's like, get a, you know, lock in your money for six months, lock your money in for eight months, 12 months, a year and a half, two years. And there's all these rates that you get if you lock it into these money market accounts or CDs or annuities. All of these short-term borrowing accounts are at all-time highs. You can get over 5% in a lot of cases. And so it's safe money. People who are skeptical about the market or worried about the market sucking a bunch of cash out of their wallets could easily have gone to money market accounts, made 5%, And it's like one of the safest places to do that. Here's where I'm going with this. What happens when rates drop and next year, those money market accounts, your six months that you put it into went from 5% to 3%. What's going on in your head? And what do you think is going to go on in the heads of all those people who have all that money locked up? And it is a lot of money, by the way. The reason checking accounts, Saving accounts went to all-time lows because they were investing in these alternative safe investments. A lot of the money just moved to another area to fix our dollar problem. So what's going to happen when the rates go down? People are going to start looking for a better return. And that 5% really triggered a lot of this. There's something psychological that when you cross the 4%, people are like, ooh, and they like start putting money in. When it crosses the 5%, people, ooh, they get excited, right? They put their money in. But when it starts to drop, the same thing. And they start looking for other places to invest. Well, if there's, let's say, a trillion dollars, and I'm not saying it's that much. It's probably half a trillion. But if you have you know, billions of dollars in these accounts, and people are now looking for a higher return, where are they going to go? They're going to go back into the stock market. They're going to go back into the real estate market, which both play in. This idea plays into my other two predictions. So real estate market is going to find its bottom. That's my prediction. And I think we'll see higher highs going into next year. We'll be into a new curve on the real estate market. Commercial real estate is a different question. It's a it's a different problem. I see some massive problems going into 2024 on the commercial side. Uh, I see banks getting shaken uh, into 2024. I think we're going to see keys getting handed back on a lot of projects. I'm hearing in Utah, by the way, is probably one of the most sound commercial real estate states in the country. And I'm hearing about potential projects where the keys are going to get handed back in the next couple months. And it's because they have to, the rates work kind of now. But when they have to renew next year, all of the rate hikes we had over the last couple of years finally have caught up. And most, you have to get this, most commercial real estate loans are not 30 years. They're not 15 years. They're three to seven years. And a large majority of them are coming due next year. And so I do not think we have found the bottom. I think commercial real estate, uh, especially state by state, we're going to see new bottoms, fallouts. And my prediction is, a lot of negative news around commercial real estate next year. All right, so interesting, right? You have to kind of take these markets separately. They're, it's not like everything's going to go into a recession. I think residential will hold now. It did drop, by the way. Commercial will drop further. And uh, a lot of this has to do with rates, which is my next prediction point. So what will 
rates do in 2024. What's my prediction around that? Well, we already know that we're in a pause. The feds have already signaled for drops. Analysts are saying up to three. And I would actually agree with that. I think we'll likely see three quarter point rate drops going into 2024. My Prediction of one of those drops coming into the first quarter is like 50-50. So I'm like kind of split on whether that first rate drop will happen in the first quarter. But I think we will fit three in for the year. Remember that it takes about six months for those to kick in. Uh, I think Biden would love for one to go in right at the first quarter because that would show the economy possibly recovering and seeing some positive momentum into the actual election uh, during the last quarter, because again, it takes about six months, right, for this stuff to happen. So there's my uh, rate prediction into 2024, uh, which should offer some easing. If you're in an industry that requires loans, you should see some easing. If you're in a business that people get financing in, uh, one of my businesses is like that, you should see some easing. So better than 2023, for anyone who was impacted by rates, 2024 should be a better year. And I would say that includes lending practices, loan officers, the real estate market in general. All right. So here's my prediction on the S&P 500. And we will do our trade analysis at the end of this uh, still, even though I'm doing this prediction. But this is like a stock market prediction as a whole. And again, guys, this is not financial advice. Do your own research. You know, all the disclaimers we played at the beginning of the video. Uh this is my personal prediction. S&P 500, I think we'll see higher highs. In fact, I would bet about 90, 95% that the S&P 500 will hit higher highs into 2024. Now that doesn't mean it's going to end that way. I think we will see a lot of sideways momentum where if you took the beginning of 2023, you took the end of 2020 or the end of 2023, the end of 2024, that 12 months, I think you would see a lot of this, but it's going to generally be sideways and we will not find an up or a downtrend. Now, I think also we will find newer lows than we've seen in the last six months. Not the lows, not the all-time lows that we hit that 30% drawdown, but about a six-month low. Well, I think we'll find newer lows. And that's because I think the volatility in like totality will go up. I think we're going to see bigger swings in the market over 2024, which means uncertainty, which means that more people will become more uncertain into 2024, which means people moving and trading among markets, which increases the VIX. If you guys follow the VIX at all, I would imagine that the VIX is going to be on average, part of my prediction, that the VIX will be on average higher than it was during 2023. All right, so there's my prediction for S&P 500, uh, stock market in general. And obviously, I think the Dow, NASDAQ will be impacted similar, similarly. Uh, and I also think that the NASDAQ, here's another part of that prediction. I think the NASDAQ will be impacted more than the Dow. I think the Dow will have stronger footing into 2024. I think the NASDAQ, basically tech companies, will be impacted more into 2024, more volatility, Higher highs, but also I think lower lows, mostly sideways momentum. That's my prediction. All right. Now, last but not least, we are running out of time here, but let's talk about my AI sea change. This I came out with way before the New York 
Times came out with their lawsuit. But AI is changing and the investment strategy, the hype getting in front of the bubble is going to look different. The LLM models are out. This interacting with chatbots has happened. People still don't understand what a transformer is or how it works. Clearly, you know, you listen to the news. These people have no clue how these AIAs even digest information and spit it out, which is kind of concerning. But the change, the sea change is happening. And my prediction is that we're going into not a language focus, but a numerical focus into 2024, meaning all data that's numerical will become uh, a focal point and a, a really important part of what's what matters to AI. And we're going to get better at this mathematical calculating inside of AI, where right now the best AIs that are out there are doing grade school uh, math problems. They're not brilliant. They're not they're not trained to handle math. And in fact, I did a I did an AI image today and I was like, I was going to show you guys like my top five predictions and one, two, three, four, five. It has a hard time even counting. Like it's not built numerically, but that's coming. And there's, uh, I've talked about this in the past. There's a company called QSTAR that's numerically focused. They're not using traditional transformer models and LLM transformer models. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that into 2024. And so if you're investing in AI, get off of the LLM bandwagon. That is not going to be where we're going to see growth. We're going to see growth in very unique data sets and numerical based data sets where we are solving numerical problems. We are solving mathematical equations. And I think that's what the focus is going to be as AGI becomes the new target. And we're even seeing this with OpenAI and the staff at OpenAI. There's been leaks that there's a lot of concern around QSTAR and these developments that are happening in AI that are numerical, because what comes with that is a lot of security threats. And I've even made some predictions uh, around like breaking certain types of encryptions and hacking certain types and finding back doors in a way that's way faster than ever before, because these numerical AIs are actually solving problems and looking for answers over using an agent, just like working on it, working on it, working on it without even a user interface, like checking in on it. And they're finding ways to solve these problems that the human mind didn't even conceive. And so this is exciting, a little troubling, uh, but also there's going to be massive opportunity around it when it comes to investments. All right. So there are my predictions. Let's jump in to what comes next, which is my trades on gold and the S&P 500. This is where I like to shine and I really get a lot out of this. I really enjoy doing uh, these predictions because this is what I am good at. This is where my focus has been over the last 15 years. And so it's not something that I'm, uh, I don't feel confident in. It's not something that I, I, I struggle. I don't struggle to share my prediction points and where I think the markets are going to go. Now, here's where we are. Oh, I didn't save it. Dang it. But here's where we are in gold. If you guys remember, we talked about gold last week. We made our prediction points. We said upward trend. We liked gold. We liked gold being uh, bullish. I made that prediction. We stayed right inside of my 
uh, channels on this, by the way, if you guys see this. And I we nailed this. Like we nailed the price wanting to stay between this 2049 uh, price. I told most people, because this is where we ended, we were just breaking the the 20 uh, or the 2050 gold price level. We were just breaking that. And I was saying, I was, I'm very bullish on this. And uh, I told people, you know, you probably want to take a, you know, a take profit somewhere at like the 2065, 2075, set your stop losses below the 2050. And we just nailed that. Uh, I also warned of the potential of it coming out above the 2076 level. It definitely did that as well. And we warned about a breakout from this channel. In fact, I drew this channel clear up into here. It stayed inside this channel, which I'm not surprised by. We just need to make sure to save this. And we've had a breakout, somewhat of a breakout. It, we might adjust this a little bit, but we've definitely had a breakout today. And so I'm, I'm going to talk about this and what the repercussions of this breakout are. And I'll make sure to save this going forward. So we are definitely in a new trend. And typically when this happens, you're going to get out of trend technicals and you're going to start using just straight um, horizontal technicals or just straight support and resistance levels. And so as of right now, we are kind of stuck in this bracket. And I'm going to say this is our zone for gold and silver, or excuse me, for gold in this case, where we will likely have Monday, Tuesday living inside of this 2050 level and this 2076 level, uh, which we bounced around quite a bit inside of last week. Now, I think there's a higher probability of going up and because we've already broke this level last week. So I think there's a probability of living up here but because the price is like right in the middle, what I would be waiting for, this is not a great trade today, but maybe Monday, I would be watching for the price to come down to maybe this 2050 uh, level and buy, or I'd be waiting for it to get up into this 2076 level and sell. Because it's broken the trend, I, I would like, it would be a great trade to wait and see if it doesn't come down to this 2050 level and then buy it back up. I'm still pretty bullish on gold. I don't think we're going to get any fundamental news that's going to be bearish on gold. Um, yeah, and so this is pretty simple. I wish we had some, this is not a strong trade. If I were to like weigh this one to 10, this is like today a three. Monday, it potentially could be a seven. It depends on how low it is. Uh, but right now this is, it, it's just, it is what it is. We just had a breakout. A lot of people would say, oh, well, this is, you know, the change of a trend. I don't necessarily agree. We'd want to see another breakout below 2050. And then we could say, yeah, we're probably heading back into 2000 uh, in terms of the price. I don't see that happening. Um, but if it does, you need to be aware that the 2000 price is a possibility if we see a break uh, significantly past the 2050 level. So there's that one. Let me save this so I've got it for next week. Hopefully my S&P 500 one saved. And I will show you guys my prediction on the S&P 500. And by the way, we nailed this also. I was really happy about our results on this. We're just getting so good at this. 
go. Just want to see this. There we go. So there's last week. Here's the channel that we redrew into last week. I don't know why I moved it, but I did. Sorry, I was just bringing it back to the bottom of this. You can see that we're going to have to adjust this channel a little bit, but it, it it likes it. It likes the channel. We said last week, here's kind of where things are going to go into the next day. I predicted some up movement. We said, look, it's possible we get a break, but this support, just like I said, was going to be strong. It was going to be really hard, very difficult for this channel to lose its momentum. And that's what we saw going into last week. And just like gold, we just had a breakout today. So let's redraw this. I'm just going to delete it so that we've got a fresh chart on here. Perfect. And I made that really thick, if you remember, because I liked... I like to show you guys my value based on thickness. And here we are today with a breakout. Now, had you caught this this morning and this had broke, this would have been a great trade to go short on. Obviously, by the end of today, we're probably going to hit this 47.52 level. You could see it go to 4,700. However, this is a risky trade. I We're still in... A pretty bullish uh, momentum from the, the past month. I'm always about trading the trend. We're still in an uptrend. This could potentially be a breakout, but I would watch it on these levels. I'm going to change the color on this. I would watch it on these levels as we go into next week. Now, here's where I would say the price is likely to go into next week. Very likely to play in this level. Here, I would predict this is where we're going to be next week, up into this region. Is there a possibility of a breakout down? Yes, but I'm going to mark that so you can see it. This is my one. I'm going to make this the thickest. This is my two. And this is my three. Save that also so we don't lose it. All right. And so that's my prediction for the S&P 500. Nothing's changed. Our, so write these levels down. If you like haven't gotten these, if you're wondering about support and resistance levels, this channel has broke, so it's dead. The only reason I would go back into this channel is if we go back into the green uh, in Monday and Tuesday. And then what we'd end up doing is drawing our low from here to this new candle, this new bottom that forms today. Uh, however, I don't see that happening. I imagine this going sideways. We're going to end up deleting this channel and we're going to be using uh, our horizontal support and resistance levels for probably about a week until something new establishes. So this, these are the riskier times, but higher reward times to be making trades. Obviously, if we went short right now and it just blew out to the short side, you would have the beginning momentum, but you kind of have to allow about a 25%, 30% trend to start. And so I'm looking for this to develop. 
And so I'm going to play it very safe on both of these trades, on gold and on the S&P 500 right now. So just be aware of that going into next week. I've kind of got my tinfoil hat on or my security blanket that I'm wearing uh, more than usual going into next week with both breakouts, kind of creating this uncertainty on the technical level. But just so you know, when this happens, it's very common that traders go back to just standard levels. They stop looking at trends. They stop looking at Bollinger Bands, which are kind of a trend indicator. And they start looking more at like solid technical levels. So this uh, 4,700 level is going to be an a price on the S&P 500 that people are going to watch. This 4,752 level. And then our 4,812 level, which is kind of the high it is not broke yet, but I've been predicting we're probably going to see higher highs at some point on the S&P 500. Uh, and this is where we're at today. So there you go, guys. Happy Friday. Happy New Year. I uh, hope you guys have fun plans over the weekend. And uh, yeah, take, take this opportunity. Most people think about goals. They think about their outlooks for next year, what they want their life to look like, the different front porch they want to be living on, however you do your goals, make sure you take some time to do that uh, going into next year. And I found uh, if you want to kind of get ready and then hear some of my add-ons into next Friday, next Friday, I'm going to do a goal setting part of our psychology piece at the beginning. So don't wait, get kind of an idea what you want your goals to be. And then I'll add some things that are going to add some massive velocity, some massive power to the goals that you want to get done. So you're not a statistic where most people, it's over 80% of people drop and lose complete sight of their goals by February. And obviously from a financial standpoint, if any of your goals are financial, we don't want that to happen. So we'll see you here, same time, same place next week. We're going to be going over goals. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys' participation. Any of the comments and likes uh, or comments or feedback that you guys give me in the comment section is helpful. And obviously, like and subscribe, guys, to stay tuned. Uh, we'll see you next week. Happy New Year. Thank you.